Mineshaft, a statue in an empty lake, unusual funeral rites in a starving community. Find this and more in Caitlin Marceau's newest collection of short horror from Ghost Orchid Press. Do you dare to venture into a blackness absolute? Available wherever books are sold. This is horror artist Lynn Hansen, and I'm really excited to be guest of honor at Horror on Main. You're going to come too, right? We can all hang. See you there. Horror on Main, a new weekend convention for the horror community. There are plenty of horror cons to choose from. We explore all the shadows within horror entertainment, including writers and actors, but also artists, publishers, directors, and composers, and we're bringing them to you. Join us Memorial Day weekend 2023 in Hunt Valley, Maryland. Come to the block party and meet your new neighbors. See horroronmain.com for details. Howdy, folks. This is the old horror hound, Ronald Kelly, inviting you to head on over and visit my new online bookstore, RK Horror. There you'll find everything that's southern fried and horrified. Books like Fear, Undertaker's Moon, Blood Kin, and The Saga of Dead Eye. Story collections like The Essential Six Stuff, After the Burn, The Halloween Store, and Season's Creepings, as well as artwork and apparel. And remember, every book you buy comes with a personalized inscription and hand-drawn RK artwork on the title page, free of charge. So if you have a hankering for some spine-tingling horror, south of the Mason-Dixon line, just go to rkhorror.bigcartel.com. Thank you, and many happy nightmares, y'all. Welcome to another episode of Dead Headspace. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my best friend brennan lafaro say hello brennan hello everybody and we are also joined by kevin Wynn, aka well red beard say hello kevin hello nice to see y'all and today we are talking to the author john lynch say hello john hey what's up everybody what got you into horror the earliest i can remember is probably my brother having me watch nightmare on elm street when i was a kid or maybe like over kind of like sneaking in and my mom was watching the exorcist it was one of those two and both of those movies petrified me when i was like way too young to have seen them and then just kind of ever since then i would watch with my brother or my mom and it just it kind of took off it's always been a thing brendan why don't you go with the next question or kevin You can't, you can't throw it to two people at once. We've been through this. Brandon, why don't you go? Oh, thank you so much. All right. Uh, John, I want to jump right into uh, the Warrior Retreat, um, although I guess I'm really just jumping into writing in general. Um, this, this book had kind of uh, an interesting genesis in that it stopped and started, and you had 
a certain amount of it and then you scrapped it and you it did a lot of things before it finally came to fruition so i wonder if you could yeah. kind of take us through a little bit of that yeah so i started writing the book um i want to say it was like 2020 um i had been writing before that but i i hadn't been taking it too seriously because i start i want to say i really started writing around like 2011 or something like that and I wrote a couple short stories and I sent them to a few markets and they just got, they got denied. And I just kind of, it wasn't for me then. I didn't want to continue because I just got down about it. And then I really picked up again in like 2020. I started writing the warrior retreat. Um, I want to say I had got, I had about 20,000 or so words into it. And then it just, <clears throat> it didn't feel right. So I abandoned it. Um, and I was just writing short stories trying to sell to market at the time um and part of the reason i ended up abandoning it was because of my writing schedule i didn't have a lot of time to write i still don't but now i carve out the time but i was you know i would i would be writing and i would go like i would have like a week of productivity and then i would go like three weeks where i didn't write a word and i wasn't keeping good notes at all and i had i'm, I'm pantsing on top of that and I, I didn't have good notes on what was going on so I would go back and I would reread re the manuscript because I had no idea what was going on. And then I would look and it was like chapter five, chapter five, chapter five. And I'm like, well, this, that's not right. Um, so like I said, I scrapped it. I worked on short stories for a while. And then I, I kind of get to the feeling like maybe I could only write short stories because every, every time that I tried something longer, I just couldn't get past the 10,000 word mark. Um, I started writing another book um which actually is my current work in progress but <clears throat> i started writing that and the same thing i, I get to like ten thousand words on there and i just it was just started like feeling like it was falling apart so i put that to the side and then i started writing a third book um and the same thing with that one i just like it it wasn't picking up at all and i just it felt disjointed and i just started to think like well maybe novels aren't novels and novellas aren't for me so then last year um, I, I noticed that a publisher was taking manuscripts, you know, they wanted um, 10,000 words of the manuscript, and then they would ask you for more, you know, if they like the 10,000 words. Um, I looked at the Warrior Retreat because I knew it had around 20,000, and I, I was like, this is horrible, absolutely awful. There's no hope for this. <laughs> so I was like, and it was like a week deadline from when I saw it. So I was like, I need to get 10,000 words by the end of the week. So I sat down every single day and I rewrote it completely from scratch. Um, I did leave, there were a couple of scenes that I knew that I wanted. So I pulled those scenes up and I rewrote those too, but I knew like, you know, what I wanted to happen. But the overall arc of the story completely changed. Um, I didn't end up getting accepted for that publisher. Um, but to be fair, I gave them less than I asked for. I sent it knowing it was going to get... Um, rejected because it didn't even have the 10,000 words. Um, so I would have rejected it as well because it didn't meet their requirements. And then, you know, I had, like I had said, I had trouble getting past 10,000 words on pretty much anything that I was writing at the time. So there was no guarantee that if they accepted that, that I was even gonna produce a finished manuscript, I wouldn't have bet on, on me doing it. So, you know, it makes sense to me that a publisher wasn't gonna take that bet either. But then you did bet on you, man. So I, yeah, I, I guess my biggest question is, 
it sounds like you got you had three novels going you kept getting stuck around that same mark so what changed on the last one and do you feel like you cracked something that's going to help you in the future yeah so actually so trying to make that ten thousand word limit in that week that's what helped me crack it because i because i just barely missed it. i had like 9500 word and i was like okay well this whole time I've been feeling like I couldn't get past a certain point and I was feeling like I didn't have time to write a longer piece of fiction because I was having long periods of breaks in between. But this whole week I found time and time again over and over and over to sit down and carve out 15 minutes here, 30 minutes there, 45 minutes before bed. Um, and that's just really what it was. And then I, I kept going with what I had because you know I, I felt like I had momentum at that time. And I kind of told myself, well, this whole week I've been able to, I've been able to carve out multiple writing sessions, at least 15 to 20 minutes a piece. Sometimes I got a couple hundred words down. There'll be times where I got like a thousand words down. So that I kind of told myself like I could do it. And then from there, I started keeping better notes. Um, and that really helped me too. So what I would do is I would, I would hold, I would have um, another document right next to um, the one that I was writing in another tab. And this one kept um, a running tally of every character and the major plot points as I wrote them, because like I said, I pants, there were scenes that I knew were going to happen. I kind of knew how the story started and I had an idea where it would end. Um, other than that, I only had a couple scenes that I knew that I wanted to include. So whenever I made a character, uh, I wrote a little bit about them. Whenever they did something, I wrote kind of the important notes of that in their little character bio. And then every time that I wrote a scene in the book, I went over to my document, my note document, and I wrote um, a little synopsis of what happened in that scene. So that way, if I did have to go a couple days writing and get a chance to write, I'd be able to jog my memory. Um, and also noting that it did help one time. I, I think it was maybe Brian Keene I saw mentioned. He does something where like he doesn't finish what he's writing when he stops. I think it was him that said that. Like He might leave off and the sentence is only partially finished. So that way, when he picks back up, he's got to finish the sentence and it helps to jog his memory and, and get going again without, you know, sitting at a blank doc, you know, staring at a document, wondering how to start. You know, he's already got the start there. And, yeah. you know, all, all of those things kind of helped me to realize that I could do it. I just needed to stop telling myself I didn't have time and find the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. If it's something that, you know, is important to you, you're going to dig that time out of your week. Yeah. Um, Kevin, I really enjoyed the uh, video review that you did on John's book, and I definitely want to throw it to you next. So the floor is yours, sir. I saw you guys were both uh, muted, so I tried to be a professional there, and then I... <laughs> started talking while I was still on mute. But um, I mean, first of all, congrats. I mean, one thing I mentioned in my review is that, you know, in my five years of doing this, I see a lot of people that are reviewers or, or just readers that, you know, throw their hat in the ring. And and like I said, I'm, I'm always supportive, but sometimes I cringe a little, you know, and um, and I, th I just thought, you know, you hit it out of the park. I mean, your, your writing chops were great. Um, I think War Horror is perfect and this is i'm not asking the question yet but i think war horror is great i mean it's um i'm surprised there's not more of it there's not a lot out there um in this you know post for our post 9 11 wars i mean I, I feel that they they affect everyone 
And, um, I mean, everyone knows someone that was over there, you know, and someone that was affected by it. And, uh, for me, it's like the perfect vehicle for, um, for writing horror about men. I mean, I know that soldiers aren't, aren't, aren't all men, but we get all these stories about the final girl or the girl being chased you know, by the ax murder or whatever. And it's just opened, like I said, a perfect vehicle to, to write horror about men. Um, I love that about it. I mean, I love that it was these big badass dudes that were being, you know, were suffering here. Um, and, and also, you know, I think it just, you know, because we've all experienced it or all know someone that has it screamed of authenticity. And, um, it just really allowed you to plumb like the depths of like, uh, PTSD and, and men's mental health issues in general, which, you know, is all, also something that you know more commonplace to be talked about now but you know you know i come from a generation that we didn't talk about men's mental health very much and i guess my question is um how important was that aspect of the book i mean kind of really focusing on men's mental health you know within this horror format uh when i when i first started writing it um it, it kind of that aspect wasn't there um like it was but it wasn't affecting everybody. So the original idea for it actually was I wanted I, I was originally gonna potentially do like a supernatural slasher. Like I had in my head um Jason goes to hell, but with Marine veterans. And then I was just like, it's not working. Um the mental aspect of it wasn't there. It wasn't it felt like a disservice um to people who were suffering PTSD because it just wasn't well done. And I think at the time I just wasn't good enough of a writer to do what I wanted to do. Um, so that was another mindset. And I know, I, you know, I talked with Edwin Lauren about the book on his YouTube channel, um, maybe like a year ago or so. And that, and before I had started rewriting it and I had told him, I was like, I just didn't feel like I was good enough at writing yet to, to write it and make it be what it needs to be. And not like a mockery of that, because I tried to toe a line with making that aspect of it as real as it could be. Um, but also playing, playing it down in some parts, playing it up in other parts. And while it would be also be something that horror readers would want to read. Um, which once I figured out how to do that, it was a lot easier because I could, you know, I could go off of my own personal, um, experience. And I, I know, I, I know a lot of friends who from being in the Marine Corps that I still talk to, who have had those personal experiences and you know, everybody's not open about things, but we do talk about it with each other. Um, so I was able to use those experiences once I was a better writer to actually be able to hopefully do it justice. Um, I'm going to take over and say that the, uh, I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning of the book where <laughs> And you commented on the uh, afterward where you're talking about driving through IEDs, you know, possibly IEDs are everywhere. Um, so it just made me think of a few people that I knew in my life, because like Kevin said, a lot of people knew folks that went through that. Uh, I went to I grew up with a kid that um, he was in the Marines. He um, he lost both of his legs and his hand from uh, an IED and uh, he eventually he, he was sent home in uh taking off life support because, you know, it just wasn't looking good. So he, he passed away a while ago. And there's uh, another one where I worked with his father and he said that his son, um, they were taught to, there's a kid in the road, you shoot him. And he said, it's terrible. And he's 
just makes me sad now as a father thinking about how like he has to think about his son in this fucked up war that uh is in a place where it you know he can't fly over there and see his boy if he's dying and he has to kill these kids because they might kill them and um that's kind of where my mind went to but i i love war movies and war stories i mean i got the i got a bunch of the mainly korean war and world war ii but it made me think of you know the movie fury with brad pitt uh tank crew that that's the kind of bond that um your, your guys that that um made me think of of those guys how they're in close quarters and how there's just <laughs> you gotta have something to take it you know take your mind off of this reality so they're just like saying the craziest shit to each other and um and i might be jumping all over the place here but it also made me like kind of really irritated about how the public has to know certain things about war. Um, I'm a civilian. I never went to war, but uh, I, like I said, I read a lot about it. My brother-in-law, he was a Marine in Iraq and I have some friends that were in Iraq too. And um, we shouldn't know about this stuff because it, it's like I'm, I'm reading Lone, I when I read Lone Survivor, I know that was a choice why, Marcus Luttrell and his men had to make sure that they didn't kill a goat herder and his son um, in order to like, they were going back and forth. If they do this, it gets back to the courts and they get court martialed. They get this, you know, they get everything taken away. They go to jail because of the PR effect they'll have. I know this is way beyond your book, but it just like, I want to hear from you if you want to talk about what your thoughts are on that, because for me, um, it's war, it's ugly, and a lot of good people die, and that's fucking terrible, but it's gonna happen. So my point is is I don't think that I don't think that civilians should know what the hell's going on to some to, to some extent. I don't know how to be more concise than that. I know that's a ADHD jumble. So if you can decipher any of that, go for it. If not, Brennan, take it away. Well, um, so I just wanna like be clear, like I don't, I don't advocate advocate for like harming anybody who doesn't need to be harmed overseas. You know, I was in the infantry, hmm. um, so that was part of my job. Um, but I, I do, I do think that journalism um, and seeing it does have a place there because it, it, it it's a double edged sword. That yes, it, it make it makes things more dangerous because it does um, make you do have to think about the rules of engagement, and you know those are more of a thing because of that but i think that's a good thing too because you know it, people things can get out of hand um real quick and if they're if you're not thinking about the consequences of what what ha- what might happen over your actions um they could get a lot out of out of hand a, a lot faster um and things could could get real messy and you know a lot of people could get hurt um but as far as that goes um there's also another aspect of it where where I, I kind of dis- disagree with journalism there in a sense. So we, you know, we had a guy who got injured and they had to beg and plead this guy to not put these pictures on the Associated Press website because it was just it was it was literally pictures of of um, a Marine injured after um, an IED strike, or actually it might have been an RPG strike, and he just wanted to put the pictures up on like Yahoo, 
and you could see them now, but it, like at the time, his parents hadn't even been notified yet, and he's trying to put lo- upload these pictures to the internet. And it got to the point, I believe, where the Secretary of the Navy got involved, trying to ask this guy's guy to just please hold off on posting these pictures until his family's been notified. Um, so for something like that, yeah, I don't think that like the general public needs to see, um, you know, their son laying on a stretcher or on the side of a truck. Um, but as far as, as the hardships of war go, I do think it, it has its place, um, for that to be seen because, you know, things can get out of hand. It's just unfortunate that when we end up in wars now, um, we're following rules of engagement and we're following the Geneva Convention, but other countries are, and that, and that's what makes it more dangerous. It's not, it's not, you know, the, uh, the prospect of, you know, potentially getting in trouble or court-martialed if you do something wrong. Because if you do something wrong, it's the same thing with anything else. If you do something wrong, you should you should get in trouble for that. Because it doesn't have a place. Um, but it's but it is the fact that when we do go to combat, we are there are times when people are utilizing women and children um, to safeguard themselves or hide themselves, or they're literally using them as a weapon. And then that's when it, that's when it becomes like, okay, what do I do now? Um, in that situation. Hmm. I, I would think that the benefits of having the common American person see the reality of war would outweigh <laughs> the negatives in most cases. Now, to give some context, I mean, Latrell was very anti-liberal media in that book. I mean, very much so. And I get it. I But, you know, I mean, as a left-leaning individual... I mean, it got to the point where, I mean, like the first time I ignored it, second time, third time, ignored it. it got to the point, I mean, he was all about, you know, against the liberal media, you know, whatever. But for him, I guess, like, you know, um, some news, news, you know, um, I guess announced his death, you know, before it, it was actually confirmed, you know, yeah. of course. And uh, and I think that was where a lot of the negativity came from. But, you know, that, that, book, that book does, you know, speak out against that stuff very, very heavily. So I see where Pat's, uh, I guess, opinion on that is coming from. Um, but yeah, I would think that the um, the benefits would far outweigh. But again, I don't, think, yeah. I don't know how much that has to do with, uh, with the, you know, the warrior retreat. But um, I mean, um, you know, I think the great thing about, you know, war horror, uh, and I don't want to jump uh, in line, but uh, it's just another like, comment I had really, and maybe you can just comment on it, but um, is that it, you know, it allows you to set up the, um, I guess the situation, the um, adversity or whatever, kind of easily, right? Like if you're trying to build a troubled character, I mean, you can go into detail about a rough childhood or an abusive father, or you can say, you know, that motherfucker went to war, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, I think it allows you to kind of, skip a lot of buildup and, and say, I've got a troubled character and this is why, you know? And uh, I mean, I don't know if you want to comment on that or whatever, but. Um, yeah. So uh, I thought that's, it gives it a different aspect um, because it's not something that you've seen as much, you know, like you said, it's, it, it's a, it's another trauma. Um, it is a trope, but it, it's much less used. And, you know, two different people might experience two different things in, in a war. And you could have one guy who's who's his trauma might have been he's been involved in multiple explosions, you know. And you might have another guy 
um, who his trauma came more from just being separated away from everybody and not being around everybody, you know, in that, you know, with the people that love him in that environment. And there's a lot of different things that traumatize people different ways in war. And, and you know, if, if me and you went to war together, you might see something that doesn't bother you at all. And it might, you know, it might have me like second guessing, what are we even doing? You know, so so there's a lot of different ways you can play that, and I think it it does allow you to explore different avenues of, of trauma. You know, that you're not going to experience in another subgenre. Right. I just want to point out real quick, and then Brendan, it looked like you had a question, Kevin. I like how you pointed out how uh, you know there's for women final girl before men war has a certain <laughs> aspect, and and I agree. Um, I'm wondering what that term is. I'm not asking for anyone to say one because it seems like it would just come organically, but I just want to comment on how how neat of an observation that was. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, we don't get to see these strong, highly trained individuals put into, you know, scary situations that often. And that's to me, was, you know, a super original aspect. I mean, you know, I... Um, I, I think we probably, I mean, if, if we, you know, looked deep, there's probably some Vietnam horror stories there, but I just don't know that anybody's really doing it about these post nine 11 wars. And, uh, you know, so to me that, and again, because anybody that I knew in Vietnam is dead now, you know, I mean, but I have, you know, a friend that was in Iraq and his truck was hit by an IED and he argued with his buddy that morning about who was going to drive. And, I, and, and the driver was, and, and he lost the other kid drove, he was killed. My buddy walked away. And uh, I mean, that's, that's a, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm talking my, the, my best friend in this world, you know, I mean, and I mean, by a, by a flip of a coin, he lived and the other guy didn't. And I mean, you know, and, you know, again, he was a high school principal, you know, uh, that's another thing I didn't really understand is how, you know, we use so many reserves in those wars. Um, but for me, you know, it, it framed everything. I mean, I, when, when, uh, when nine 11 happened, I was, um, 25 years old, roughly. I mean, friend, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I cannot tell you if I voted before that point. I mean, it framed everything about the way I think about politics, <laughs> the way I think about war, all because, my friend went, you know, and, uh, and so I think, again, it's just so important to, to I mean, everyone, I mean, everyone had no someone, but I'm, I'm getting repetitive, but, um, yeah. So, I mean, I th but, uh, but the idea of, of, of taking a, a big, strong, highly trained guy and, and making him, you know, kind of the one that's in trouble, you know, in a, in a horror way. I mean, that's just cool, you know? Reminds me of uh, echoes of like uh, Peter Straub's Coco, um, you know, in Vietnam War. Uh, Kevin, not to be a not to I'm not being a smart ass, but uh, I agreed with you. But then I thought about it. Vietnam vets would definitely still be alive. There's still uh, Korean War vets alive. I don't know about World War II though. Korean War vets would be 80s now. I, mean, I, I, I understand that. All, all I'm saying is that I don't have any personal friends or family members and and there are fewer around you know oh yeah I mean, yeah for sure, for I mean, sure. My, my, my wife's um uncle was there um and he you know lost like six feet of intestine because of agent orange poisoning Ooh. um and he's not with us anymore i'm just saying that you know there's not i mean look <laughs> i mean 10 years from now 
I mean, I mean, I'm saying that generation is 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 not gone, but you, I think you get what I'm saying. I mean, the Vietnam. I mean, I'm 46 years old, and I wasn't alive during Vietnam, so it's all stories to me. The Vietnam War didn't affect me, and I'm the oldest guy in this room, I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. By, by probably about 10 years. So, and the Vietnam War didn't affect me, right? I, I mean, you. so, but anyway. Went over my head. I understand now. Um, yeah, the, uh, the, the, the biggest way that it's affected me is just uh, my brother used to watch Full Metal Jacket all the time, but only until movie. the end of the boot camp part. And then as soon as the boot camp was finished, he'd turn it off. He's like, we're not watching the rest of this movie. And that was like the the most that I know about Vietnam was, uh, you know, aside from books, I don't know anybody who's um, fought in that war personally. Right. Right. No. I would uh, I, I'd take the opportunity to triple down on what, you know, Kevin and Patrick have been passing back and forth. The whole idea of, you know, when I when I when I finished this book uh, a few months ago, I remember really just being pleasantly surprised at the amount of humanity in it. And I think that goes back to Kevin's point about this is this is a type of character study that we're not generally privy to. I mean, this is my opinion, my opinion only, but a lot of times when I think of military fiction, I get this kind of idea of like, rah, rah, go America, you know, uh, yeah. macho, tough guys just, you know, with gun fetishes. And the biggest selling point I can say to anybody who's on the fence about this book is it's not that. It's, it's, it's a horror book, and it just so happens to focus on the military, but it's got a it's got an astounding amount of humanity to it. And it's a lot. Um, I, I, it sounds so like diminishing John to say that it surprised me just how much you did with this book, but man, you like, it's, it's, there's just so much in there. Um, and I think, you know, I, I don't want to put words in Kevin's mouth, but like, same thing like i i read through this i said this motherfucker can write like this motherfucker can you know put a book together that you know yeah. uh really just kind of like hits you in the in the in the emotions and ties everything together and i, I just loved it but i'm gonna turn tack to a little bit more uh nuts and bolts here um you know, Kevin also mentioned authenticity, and there is there is that. There is just no doubt that your experience has informed this book. But one thing that it really does well is it mixes jargon, weapons names, um, just the way that uh, military people talk to each other. But it does it in a way that you don't feel lost and you don't feel talked down to. So I do wonder what kind of considerations you made when framing that language and what recommendations you might make to both people, maybe ex-military who are looking to write and non-ex-military who are looking to tell military stories. So I would say uh, um, when I first started writing stories, they did include military. Um, I've always used the jargon, but I think I went too heavy on it. And I don't like to the point where you, if you didn't know what it was, you wouldn't know what I was talking about. Um, so, and my wife had mentioned that to me before, um, you know, like with the jargon in there, you know, if you don't know what, what, what that is, it's kind of, it might go over your head. So with this, what I was trying to do was I was just trying to write it in a way that the pros around what was happening 
um, the context clues would would let you know what I was talking about if you wouldn't, you know, like if I was talking about something about like an M203, um, that's the grenade launcher attachment for an M4 and M16. And without having to like, you know, like you, like you said, explain that to you, like your clueless, I just tried to frame it into a way so that way it was obvious that I was talking about a grenade launcher when I mentioned it, um, either before or after, after I mentioned it. Um, and I just tried not to go too heavy with it. But like I said, at the same time, give it a, a little bit. I tried to rely on the action. Um, using the actions um, makes it easier, I would say, to do that, because now I don't have to tell you uh, the M203, which is a grenade launcher. I can tell you, you know, he racked the, he racked the M203, you know, and shot a grenade from it. And that will explain to you, that will explain to you right there, well, it's a grenade launcher, obviously, without telling, without literally telling you it's a grenade, a grenade launcher. Or an explosive round launcher. It's not literally a grenade, but you know, it would it would give you the idea without beating it over your head. Um. Yeah. No. It, I. I think that's definitely the way to go. Is just to find ways that you can, uh, again, convey that authenticity because the the characters are going to be speaking in that. They're not going to call it the grenade launcher. They're going to call yes. it by its you know, uh, designation. Um, but to to also kind of just frame it in that way where. Like you, I, you, you said, you know, we don't want to beat people over the head with it because then it really does very quickly become condescending. And I don't want to read this guy because he's treating me like I'm an absolute idiot. Yes. Um, yeah. And it's like, it goes back to like showing versus telling too. It's, it's, it's the same thing. I can, sh I can tell you what it is, or I can just have a character do the action or use the, the piece of equipment or whatever it is. And then you're like, oh, that's what that is. Because you're going to, you, you know, if, if I have them doing something with it, it's going to be obvious what it is versus me just telling you over and over. And it took a little while to get that. It took a little while to get a mix. I think there is a good mix. If it's just old, old, old constant that, then, you know, it's not going to be for anybody besides somebody who's in the military if you just keep doing it over and over. But you can throw it in there um, with the actions. And, and I think people, it, it, people, I mean... The people that I've spoken to have gotten it. I haven't really had too many people, or nobody really I can say, or maybe they, they've felt that way but haven't told me um, that the things went over their, their head or they didn't know what I was talking about. So I think I got it, but I'm sure I'm sure there's some people who it was just too much for also. How's the reception been <clears throat> so far with, with uh, Warriors <clears throat> Retreat? A, a lot better than I had hoped. To be honest, um, I, I remember <laughs> talking with the with my editor, Patrick Harrison, and I was just not knowing, I was like, I don't know who this book is for now. I was like, I, I, I told him, I was like, I don't know to call if I should call it horror or military horror or extreme horror or splatterpunk. Cause I, I, I feel like if I market it to any one of those um, people that are fans of that, then, then it's not going to be for them. And then they're going to get upset. Like I, you know, like I told them something that it wasn't, um, but it's been really good. It's been, it's been reviewing well. Um, it's, it's at 60 something ratings on Amazon, mm. not on Amazon, on Goodreads right now. Um, and it's still sitting right just under like four and a half the last time I checked. Um, it was close to five for a while, but you know what? That was, that was like a lot of early reviews. And then as you see people start reading it on Amazon and, and um, rating it on Goodreads, you know, it goes down from that point, but it's, it's hovered 
mostly around four and a half, and it has over 50 reviews now on um, Goodreads. It's like 60-something, and Amazon is like approaching 50, and it's still like a 4.4 there. So, um, And I've had a lot of people reach out to tell me um, that they don't read anything military fiction at all, and they really liked it. Um, and then I've had people who were in the military reach out and tell me that they really liked it as well. And um, <clears throat> I work with a bunch of guys who don't read that often, but they bought the book out of support. And then afterwards they, you know, they were like, well, I don't read it all, but I really like this book. I thought it was really good. Um, so I've been really happy with the way it's been received. I, it's definitely being um, received far better than I thought it would be. <laughs> and not that I, not that I thought it was, it was a bad book. I just, I didn't know who the audience was. So I was unsure how it was going to be received because of that. Patrick C. Harrison is a, very good editor. I've uh, recommended him before for work. He, me and Brian have read quite a few books by him. Um, he does a good job. He's yeah, a good he does writer. a great job. He, I but, highly recommend him. He does a great job. Yeah. Um, but Brian nailed the. He nailed the head. Wow, I don't know that phrase. I did he nail the head on the head. Mm-hmm. He nailed it on the head. Um, Who did I nail on the head? Ah, fuck. <laughs> You start your core is humanity. It's about the people. And I think that's what's gonna get you know your readers, man. Because once you got someone that cares about your character, I'm not telling you all anything new, but once you got your hooks in a character, you'll probably watch them go through anything. Um, Ray's arc evolution, whatever you want to call it, was really sad. Um, I'm gonna leave it that. I don't want to be spoiling nothing, but uh Oh man, nope. I was gonna say a book it reminded me of. It's a popular book, but that would spoil yours. So I'm gonna say Kevin, take over. I am drowning. Oh, you're fine, you're fine. I, I mean, <laughs> to the humanity thing, you know, I mean, even for the other side, right? Um, I mean, my I think my I mean I look back through my little places I marked before I came on here. Um, I think my favorite paragraph in the book is the no atheist and foxholes part, right? You've got one paragraph in there that talks about that. And it, it, talk, it said Ray had been a non-believer right up until he applied a tourniquet on his own leg. Uh, but basically, you know, it goes on and says he, he spoke to that higher power now praying for the safety of his <laughs> brothers and the death of his enemies, enemies who prayed for the same thing, but spoke to a different God. I, I love that part. I love even, you know, you even had humanity in there for, for the other side um questions i don't know if i really have any more i mean uh um is it too early to talk about what you're working on next i mean shoot or, or uh, we wanna... no we can talk we can talk about that um um so i just last month released my short story collection that came out in january um i know you weren't really online at that, at that point probably when it came out so i don't know if you saw that that came out in january um i am working on another um full-length book um, I'm calling it the senior cruise right now. I might call it the senior slaughter, something to that effect. <laughs> um, but in a nutshell, it's a like a teen horror. Um, it's not YA, obviously. I, I don't consider myself to be a YA writer. Um, it's just <clears throat> the characters are you know, there's some adults in it, but it, it's mostly teens. Um, and it's going to just, you know, it's going to be about uh, something goes very wrong at the beginning of the book. Uh, and then a lot of people are going to get killed because of that. Hence the um, slaughter. I'm, 
Yeah, yeah. So the the slaughter, that's where the slaughter comes in. Um I'm about I just crossed like fourteen thousand words in it right now. That was the one when I mentioned earlier, the second book that I started to write that I also abandoned. Um <clears throat> I had about ten thousand words, I think, in it. Um again I started rewriting it com- completely from scratch. Um, because I have this, I've noticed what I do this too. I, I begin a book and I start over and I keep writing and then I start over. And by that point, the, the plot points that were giving me problem before, um, like a problem before I've either completely scrapped them or I've been sitting there and I've figured out in my mind how to fix that problem and where I can go from there. Um, and it's, it's been a little bit easier, like I said, now that I'm taking notes and leaving them up in a separate document on the side so I can still um pants but i don't kind of lose sight of who the characters are because there's been times when i've had to go like a week without writing um january was a a, a rough month overall i got almost no writing done i just had a lot of family medical issues so i didn't really write at all um keeping those notes allowed me to just pick it right back up um i don't have any kind of plans for when i'm going to release it um other than i would like to have it out um, by the by, the middle of the summer, like I want it out no later than late July, early August. So not not war related at all. No, this one's not going to be war related. Um, there are some. My, the collection has a couple um, military themed stories in it. You read one of them. It was also in We Are Providence. That stories mm-hmm. in my collection. Um, there's another one where it's, you know it's some it's Marines on a training mission. Um, that's in there. I got. I have a short story where it's you know just two Marines on base, but they're not really on a training mission. They're just kind of um, bad stuff happens um, on the base while they're just kind of trying to do what all good Marines do and uh, do the opposite of what they're told and have some fun. Um, but no, the next the I don't want to only do war related stuff because I don't want to be pigeonholed into that. And I feel like I feel like I was able to write the warrior retreat how i wanted to write it mm. but i also don't know how to follow that up completely um without it being compared directly to that because you know the, some of the things that you guys are saying that you liked about it like the characterization and the humanity um i don't know how to do that again so i know i have some ideas for more war stuff but I'm just going to let them kind of simmer on the side until they, they're fully fleshed in my head. The next idea that I write that is war-related, I think is going to be... I'm going to turn the st- that story, Blood in the Sand, eventually into a book. There is more there, and I kind of know what it is. Um, I already know the characters. Like that, That's um, a fourth book I didn't mention, but I, I already started doing that. I just abandoned it when I wanted to start writing the warrior treat from scratch again, but I already know the general idea of it. I don't think I've ever done this before, but I don't even want to, I've got a request, but I'll save that for later offline, but I've got a request. Okay. I wonder if it's the same, uh, the same request. Oh, never mind. I'm thinking of a story I read that you haven't gotten to yet. Never mind. Well, can I, I mean, I can say that here, right? I mean, I can just, (laughs) yeah, we can can always just cut it. My, my kid, you know, has got me into working out constantly, but you know, he's gotten me into David Goggins, which has gotten me into, which, which is what got me back to reading the Marcus Luttrell book. 
Um, I love stories about people that do shit that I can't do or that I never will do. I think it's why I like, I love mountain climbing stories. Like I, I've probably watched every documentary of, you know, the Alex Honnold stuff, uh, free solo. I don't know if you might, if you haven't watched that, watch it. I mean, it's about this guy that climbed out El Capitan with no ropes. Um, about that. <laughs> I love, I love, you know, like, like stories about Navy SEAL training. I mean, I understand in your case, it would be Marine, but man, a horror story that takes place in, like marine training, marine boot camp, or whatever. Um, I mean, I just because that's it just intrigues me. I mean, guys doing really, really hard stuff and then throw a whore. I mean, I don't know, maybe a guy that didn't make it comes back, but uh, uh you know, that uh, that, that shit really intrigues me. But um, anyway, what if you yeah. write a story, a short story about <laughs> Marines watching the filming of Kubrick, like while he's filming it and it's on an active like uh base, and um, I don't know. Just take it from there. Man, it's not like an asshole. It's, hey, you write books. Why don't you write this? <laughs> it's, well, it's funny oh, no. that Kevin mentioned the um, mentioned the boot camp thing because I have this thing that I do um, because uh, if, if you don't pay attention to me online at all, um, Bentley Little is one of my favorite authors. So just I always come up with an idea. I'm like, what if it's this, but Bentley Little wrote it? <laughs> I was just thinking the other day, like, what if I did boot, did a story where guys are in boot camp? How would Bentley Little do that? But then I would just be way gorier and and uh, than than he would write. Yeah. Um, but I did. I was thinking about that literally like two weeks ago. I started getting the ideas, just not ideas for like a full fleshed out book, but scenes of what I would do if I were to write something where you know boot camp is involved. Mm-hmm. So there's that's probably going to happen at some point. It's just I have a list I've been keeping. Um, and then I lose it and then I have to find it again. But I sat down and I wrote and I, I have like 10 different ideas that I think could be book length ideas that I lost that piece of paper and I had to start writing them down again. Um, but that, that was one of them. Yeah. I mean, I, I, my wife could tell you, I, I lose everything. If, oh, if it's not attached to me, I'm losing it. My wife is sitting in the room. Um, listening to this right now and uh we'll go to ikea and go through the the store area and and mark our list of everything we're going to then go down to the warehouse (laughs) portion and buy and then lose the list that's why she's the professor you're just a wellish red beard right she's the professor well you know um uh, we talked about um you know this war horror stuff being perfect to put men in horror situations i mean your day job would allow four stories kind of like that too i mean i can't yep, think of yep. two other perfect horror subgenres to put strong men in scary situations than war and your day job you ever think about yep. that yeah that's actually that was the third idea that i abandoned then i wait, have wait, about eight thousand words in a story of that john's john's or like in general like a normal civilian john's, day job no john yeah, my, no, my, my job yeah my job are you, are you comfortable talking about it? I don't really care. I mean, people are going to, th- I, I don't say that I don't work there. And I mean, people will think whatever they think about that, but yeah, I work, I work in a prison. Um, oh, I'm a oh you're, C- yeah. you're CO. Yeah. I'm a correction officer. So I have ideas for how I would do that. You know what I mean? Um, again, <laughs> the, the gen, the genesis of that idea was what if, uh, you know, the university by Bentley little, but in a prison, that's how I started thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it would actually work. I think you could. I think that could work. I, I know exactly how it could work. It's just writing it. Um, but also, you know, because of because it is my day job, I need to make sure that I don't write 
anything real that's happened, you know, on right. whether it be, you know, involving an employee or somebody who's incarcerated because it's not, you know, it's not my place to put any of those people's stories in a, in, in a book fiction or not. So I'm just, I'm not going to do that. You know, I could, I could easily take my experiences and turn into things, but I just need to make sure that I don't write about anything that I have actually, you know, physically seen or, or witnessed or, or put anybody's private information out there. Like I said, whether it's somebody who's, uh, who works there, an employee or somebody who's been incarcerated because it's not really, you know, it's, it's a privacy matter. And, you know, so I need to make sure it's, it's not where I work. It's not anybody that I really know. It's not based off of real people. Um, right. But it's like you said, yeah, it's, it, it, you could do that if you knew how those places ran, just, you know, like, like, you know, I know like what being in the Marine Corps is like, so I can do that. I know how those places are ran. So I, I could see how things can be horrific from it, from an employee's perspective and an, an inmate's perspective, like the things that are, would be terrible. And that I think in any situation is what makes horror really scary when you take something real and you amplify the parts of it that are terrible and, and you just, you, you can really just go from there. You just take something real and what is the worst thing that can happen in the situation? And a lot of times that'll give you something awful right there. Right. It's fertile ground, I would think for ideas. And I also think, you know, oh, yeah. one, thing you, one thing you told me about your book when we were, when we talked about <laughs> it was that, you know, the funny thing about writing, like, you know, these combat scenes is that the, the, um, the shit that feels unbelievable is the real shit. Yeah. I mean, that's the shit. Yep. and I feel that, you know, prison would probably be a lot the same the stuff that yeah. feels unbelievable is the real stuff but anyway yeah and just with both of those things i could tell you guys a hundred different stories when you'd be like that didn't really happen and i'd be like no what you know if i would tell you five stories and tell you to pick out the fake one the fake one would probably be the one that you picked to be fake would be the real one because right. it's just you know it's just it's not normal more is not normal um being in combat's not normal working in a prison is not normal being incarcerated is not normal so it's things when you tell somebody who doesn't have those kind of experiences they'll be like what are you talking about um and the same thing with the dialogue too you know um that applies to the action scenes but like the banter between the guys in the truck <laughs> that was a real story i, mean, I don't want to give away like the dialogue in there but you know the, you know, the sergeant at the beginning who's you know talking about working out in the gym and if certain things are gonna kind of lower his his ability to work out in the gym, that was an actual real conversation that somebody in charge of me was having with somebody else in the truck at that time. Um, the story that you might've been talking about earlier, Brennan, from the, from the book, uh, I think it was the second, it was a butcher of Bridgeport. Mm -hmm. um, well, you know, when the guy's walking around to the rooms cause they kind of set him up. That is a real story that my friend Josh told me. Um, in front of our photo photographer, um, I, I've, I'm, um, I got married a while back, and you know, I ended up getting a divorce. But you know, during that time, um, getting ready for the marriage, uh, my friend Josh told me that story. Never told me it while we were in the Marine Corps. He told me that story while the photographer was like in the room taking pictures, and I'm like, dude, you can't say that in front of her. Like, this is not the time for that story. And he's just like. You know, he's my friend Josh. He'll just he'll just say whatever is in his mind at that time. And that was real. Um, that story made it into my story. So I, I I take a lot of like real stories and turn them up, crank them up a little bit with my writing. 
especially with the dialogue a lot of like a lot of the stuff that you think is just nobody talks like that or nobody would do that 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 seems just juvenile it's, it probably happened or you know it didn't happen to me maybe i didn't i didn't do it but like it's a story from one of my friends that i know about so, so. i got a question with like being a ceo going to war that's going to take a toll. It's going to rip pieces out of you. How do you, how do you personally find peace? Um, I just, I try to, um, you know, whenever I'm home, I try to, my, I try to just be with my family, you know, and talk to them. Um, my wife and kids are great. Um, so that helps. Um, they're all very supportive of me writing and they're, you know, just, they're just supportive of me in general about me doing the things that make me feel happy. Um, so that, so that, that's the biggest thing for me is I just try, I try not to, and it's hard. Sometimes you do, it's like anything else. You, you try not to let those things affect your personal life, but it, you know, it really helps to not be bothered when you have um, a wife and kids who are just great and support you. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. Um, I don't really know what else to add to that. Brennan or, or Kevin, uh, do either of you have anything to add to that? If not, we can jump to currently reading. I want to throw one more thing out, if you guys don't mind. Yeah, go for um, it. John, one thing that I've heard you talk about is initially you wanted to release the collection first and then get down to writing a novel, and you decided to novel first and then collection after. And I'm wondering what was kind of the impetus behind that? How do you, how is that working out at this point? You know, collections only been out so long. Um, and anything else you want to share to self publishing potential people uh, about self promo that you've learned in your time? Okay. Yeah. So as far as why I decided to um, release the collection after the book, the collection has been ready for, in its current form, other than you know having some stories re-edited, um, and then getting the ones that weren't edited yet edited by um, Patrick Harrison, the story the book has been largely complete for since last year, since before the Warrior Retreat was. Um, the, but I had spoken before um, conversations that I had in the past with Ken McKinley, um, you know, two or three years ago, maybe when I was just talking, you know, about writing in general. And he had said, you know, he thought it was, he thought it was a good idea to have a book out before a collection um, just because a lot, because it seems like people are more likely to try your collection if they like your writing, which I didn't think that, you know what I mean? Like I would be, I don't really, I actually really don't like reading short stories that much. I'll read them, but I prefer to read novels. But if I'm not sure you know, like what a Brandon LaFaro book reads like, I might check out your collection first. Speaking of, um, no, just, just to see if going. I like your writing. Yeah. <laughs> to see if, to see if I like your writing. Um, but I guess what people who've been in the industry longer than I have, or have been around it and other writers, you know, I've spoken to other writers and um, collections in general, I guess, I guess this is just a generalization. You know, there's always, you can always find uh, an exception to the rule, but they don't seem to do as well as, as books do. Um, and from what I've heard from other writers and what I've spoken to, they've they've usually have said, you know, their collections don't do 
as well as their books do. Um, and they felt you're giving your, you're giving yourself a better chance to have that collection um, find its readers. If you have something else that they've already liked. Mm. I don't know if that's true. Um, I can tell you that it's only been a month since the collections come out, but right now I don't feel like the book has led into more people picking up the collection other than on my website. Um, on my website, I did sell a combo package where I sold both books, a bunch of stickers and a bookmark for $3 less than it would have cost you to buy both of the books. Um, so I just took three, you know, I took the combined price of the books minus $3 from it and threw in a bunch of stickers and a coaster and a bookmark. And I felt, you know, that gave it enough of a value that people who really didn't want to, maybe didn't want to check out the collection, checked it out. So as far as um, readers buying it from my website, that's done okay. Um, as far as Amazon and reception, um, it's it's only been a month. People that have read it seem to like it. Um, but I have, I have not noticed, um, a benefit yet, but I will say that the warrior treat only came out in November and people are just now starting to find it. So that could also play it. I've, I've only have two books and they've only, and, and my first one just came out in November. So I don't think it's really a realistic expectation for me to even say at this moment that my book will lead to people picking up the collection or it would have been better to do the collection first. Um, because I'm just at the point now where a lot of people have recently read it in the last month or the last few weeks or so. And I don't necessarily think it's a realistic expectation for them to go like, you know what, I'm going to pick up this collection and read it right now. Mm. Now that I just read this book, um, because I don't do that. I don't read like that. You know, if, if you, if you, if you have 10 books, I'm not going to read all 10 of your books back to back. I'm going to read one of your books. And if I liked it, I'll, I'll probably buy the other one or I'll, or I'll read it in a couple months from now but I don't want to just burn through your entire bibliography in like a month. I, I don't read like that. I don't know how much other people do as far as self-publishing. I don't think many people read like that, man. Yeah. I don't think it's just like, cause for me, I just feel like if, if, if you have a bunch of books out and I read them all in one month, now I'm, re I'm waiting, depending on, on how often you release books, I'm waiting a year, two years for your next one to come out. I would, I would rather space it out and, you know, enjoy them as enjoy them over time um and then to your second part of the question um brennan as far as like um self-publishing and promoting um the biggest thing that i've noticed um don't be afraid to promote yourself and talk about yourself um don't be kind of like trashy about it you know don't jump on somebody else's post and be like oh by the way you could read my book you know like if you have a if you have a post on on your Facebook about your book, I'm not going to jump in your comments with a link to my book. You know that's that's trashy. But at the same time, if somebody, I'm not afraid to talk about my book um, to link it in groups in you know Facebook groups or to talk about it on Twitter or to link it every once in a while. Because I think a lot of people, what I've seen a lot of times online, is that people have a book or they'll have something coming out and they they don't feel comfortable talking about themselves or talking about the book or promoting it because they feel like maybe they just don't like talking about themselves or they feel like they're kind of forcing it on a reader. But I look at it this way. You, if you don't promote your own book, nobody else is going to, unless you find a reader who will, you know, readers word of mouth is the best way 
to get knowledge of your book out there. You know, if somebody enjoys it and they spread it, you know, um, like for me, I think the biggest thing recently is, is, um, TikTok videos. Um, I've had a, a reviewer make multiple videos on my tick um, on her TikTok about my book, about the warrior retreat. So I've noticed a direct uptick in, um, page reads on Kindle Unlimited and some sales of the book then. So word of mouth from, reviewers and readers is probably the number one thing but I, I would say the number two thing is you have to you have to give up the the um unwillingness to talk about your own work to people i don't like talking about myself at all but i will i will present my book to you i'll just make sure that i don't do it in a manner that looks like i'm being like grimy about it i'm not gonna mm. i'm not gonna slide into your dms like without knowing who you are and like, like, you know, we all, we all have joked before about the Goodreads reviews, the, the pumpkin farmer book or whatever it is. Every time you see a review, <laughs> that guy is talking about the pumpkin farmer and the that motherfucker finally got me last year. Brennan's like, Oh, I know him. I'm like, I'm blocked. Yeah. yeah. Everybody <laughs> he knows nowhere. who he is. He would just, yeah, he would come out. He would come, he came out of nowhere. And he would just, he would jump into the comments on everything on Goodreads. And everybody knows who that guy is. Cause that, and I don't think that probably sold him a single book or got him a single page read. Um, but I think that, I think that's the second biggest thing, especially for self-publishing because you, nobody besides readers are going to talk about your book. If you won't, um, I don't think my personal experience with actual advertisements, um, they didn't do anything for me. I set a small budget on Amazon and on Facebook to run some ads. Those didn't work at all. Um, so I'm not, I'm just not going to do that. Um, I've talked with some other authors who've, who and publishers who've recommended just sending books to people is a better way to spend your, um, you know, the $5 of postage than spending $10 on an ad. Like, I, I'm not even kidding when I tell you I had like the metrics on my Amazon ad were like 50,000 50, impressions or something like that and only like mm -hmm. two clicks. So it was just a gigantic, yeah, it was just a gigantic waste of money. I, I've heard that from talk, more people than you, that the Amazon yeah. ads are, you know, just useless. And it makes sense when you think about it, because I've talked to other authors and they, and they, and like, I it might have been um, Duncan Ralston I was talking to and he's just like, well, think about it. How many times have you clicked read now on the Amazon, on the lock screen ad in your Kindle? And mm -hmm. I, I was like, only accidentally, if I was trying to swipe to turn it on. I've team. never once actually, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. It was just, it was just, you know, out of those, out of those thousands of people that were trying to turn their Kindle on one of them, two of them accidentally hit read now. Um, so that, and that's, that's been it. Um, word of mouth, I think is the most important thing. Um, your willingness to talk about yourself. You have, you have to talk about your book um, to put the word out there in front of people. Cause there's a lot of people who, and another thing about it too, I know I, I'm going like, in a million different tangents as far as, but when you talk about impressions, right? If you think on social media, if you look at how many views you have on a, on a tweet or on a Facebook post or on a TikTok, I don't have a lot of followers. I think I have like 1900 followers on Twitter, but if I look at a tweet, I might see that it had like 75 people saw the tweet of my book, of the link to my book. So 75 people out of 1900. So don't be afraid to link your book over and over again. Because there's a good chance that 90% of the people who follow you didn't even see it the first 10 times that you linked it. Yeah. Um, you are totally right. And I, I, I've, 
I, I, I try to convince myself of the same thing pretty regularly is that if I am posting about my book, that there's a fair chance that people are missing it, especially with the algorithms, what they are these days. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm probably not annoying people quite as much as I feel like I am, or maybe I am. Yeah. I just shouldn't care, but either way. Um, I, I would say both of those things. I would say yeah. both. You're probably not, you're probably, you're probably not annoying people the way that you think you are. And they probably, you're probably not even seeing it. It's just yeah. whatever is going on right now, nobody's seeing each other's like, there's people that I follow on social media for years and I just don't see their things anymore. And then like, I'll be like, oh my god! Like, I'll tell you right now. I used to talk. I talked to John Bender on. I used to talk to him all the time on Twitter. He's still on. He's on Twitter. He's on TikTok. I never see him anymore on there. Even though I know he's still on. If I go and search for him, I'll find that he probably he might have tweeted ten times today. But it's never showing me his tweets. I hate it because and like I, the new new algorithm show me all the shit that uh, people I would never talk to. Man, like uh, I don't understand it. And it it did happen after Elon Musk took over. So. I, I blame whatever the fuck he did because before that I'd see my friends on my feed yeah. and that's just a whole mess of shit that I don't want to see. Yeah. And all those social media platforms reset their algorithms too. So that's the thing too. Like if you're not constantly interacting with people, eventually they're going to falter to crack. So yeah, just, I mean, I know I've said it a couple times, but I think other than people spreading the word about your book, you spreading the word about your book is the most important thing for a self-published author to do. And keep writing. That's that's the thing too. You can want you can write one great book, but if you don't ever write anything else, um, especially self-publishing, unless you get lucky and a bunch of people find it, you're not going to have a catalog for pe- to filter people in with. Um, and that's another thing when you ask me about the collection um, that I think is I, I just don't have enough being self-published and and most people don't know who I am still. And I think when I, you know, when I have five, six, seven books out there and somebody finds one of them, that leads to them checking out the other ones. And it's just, you know, it's a matter of self-promotion, talking about yourself and just continuing to write. And if, if that first book doesn't sell or that second book doesn't sell, that doesn't mean it's not good. It just means that you haven't found readers yet, the readers yet. You haven't found your audience yet. But if you keep writing, if your writing is good, you will find it eventually. Absolutely. Totally, totally right. All right. I want to take us into uh, kind of our wrap up series. So, uh, John, what are you currently reading? Oh, I, I actually just finished Decimated Dreams. Um, I haven't written a review on it yet, but I love yeah, it. Yeah, that's good. I thought, I thought, I think, so I've re- I have read Slattery Falls, obviously, and I read Noose, and I, I really enjoyed them both. Um, but I think that Decimated Dreams is the best thing that you've written so far. Um, appreciate that man it's just a great book it's really i I think it's a great book um to me you captured the feeling of of like you know having heart and the feeling of the relationship between your characters and the loss and trying to do anything to get through that loss and to come out of the other side and and not lose your loved ones um and i thought it was a great book you know it's 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 what you expect of a book every book of a writer you know, you expect every writer's book to be better than the one before it because they're growing as a writer, and you know, and that's what I see there. I think it's the best uh, piece of fiction you've written so far, and I'm excited for the conclusion of it. Um, I'm also reading. I'm reading Talia Two by Daniel J. Volpe. Um, that one, that one's really good too. If you're a fan of of his writing, then I think you're gonna like it. 
Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's very much what you expect from uh, a Daniel J. Volby book. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, but That's I think enough. it's really good. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it, it's what you would expect. Um, and, and it's, it's good. I, I like it more than Talia. Um, and a lot of people really, I like Talia. A lot of people really like that book. And I, and so far I do think it's a, it's a bit, much better book. I'm about halfway through that. Um, I'm also reading, I'm reading John Durkin's new book inside the devil's nest. Um, about, I'm about 25% through that. Um, what I'm having right now is that primarily most of my reading is done, um, with paperbacks. Um, yeah. and I'm reading his book on Kindle because I'm just, I'm tired at the end of the night. A lot of time I get home from work and I'm tired. I try to read my Kindle, but, um, a lot during my normal work day, it's like 14 hours and I'll come home and I'll be up for like, I'll be up with my wife for maybe an hour and a half, two hours. And then we go to bed and I'll read a little bit in bed before I fall asleep. Um, but I've just been tired lately, so I'm just kind of falling asleep before and only reading like a chapter at a time. Um, but John Dargan's book, um, Inside the Devil's Nest, that's really good so far. I'm really enjoying that. And I'm also reading, um, Summer Never Ends by Judith Sonnet. And, uh, so far I'm really liking that one too. Excellent. And then, sorry to keep saying that. I'm also, I'm reading like a million things at once. <laughs> Sometimes I'll read one thing and then another time I'll, I'll be reading like 10 books. I'm really excited. I just got an ARC copy of Bentley Little's new book, the DMV. Mm. So this oh, is like nice. a dream come true for me that I got an ARC of a Bentley Little book. It's like childhood me is like you got his book and it's not even out yet. <laughs> so I'm I'm really excited to dig into that one. Yeah. And you I'm know not- what, man, like don't even apologize <laughs> for, you know, listing off everything because it's like you just finished talking about word of mouth. And if we can, you know, encourage people to grab more Volpe uh, to get to pick something up by Judith, like absolutely yep. let's spread that. And they're both, they're both great. You know, I, I think you have to, you have to be into extreme horror and splatterpunk. If you're not into it, you're not going to like their writing. Um, you're not going to, you're not going to like the subject matter, but if you like those books, if you like that kind of, of um, book, you're going to love it because I think they're both, they're two of the biggest, uh, names right now i think you know they're 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 newer authors um but i think that they're they're both consistently putting out um good work and judith judith sonnet is writing at a crazy pace i feel like she has a new book out like every couple months so it's it's so hard to keep up that i and like i said i don't want to read them all back to back to back but i feel like i'm just like drowning in books right now (laughs) and it's just I mean, I am drowning in books right now. There's so many books. That's the thing too about talk, not being afraid to talk about yourself. There's, there's so many books. You have to talk about the ones that you like or the ones that you're writing because there's just so much to, to read out there. So, yeah. Kevin, how about you? What am I reading currently? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm really not um, <clears throat> right now, but um, I have... Um, my wife was reading. I, I missed um, "Tender as the Flesh" by Baz Tarika. Is that what you said? Baz Tarika. I know a lot of people read that. Like that made the the rounds in the horror circle for sure. Um, I missed it completely. I think it was probably a little bit more widely published than what I usually read. But she was reading it, and it's definitely horror adjacent. I know that, so I thought I would read that, and we could converse about it. Um, but um that's really it i mean right now like i said i'm I'm kind of on a break um i tend to do that i tend to you know um read 
you know, 15, 20 books in a month and then, and then, you know, do that for three or four months and then take a break. So, um, right now I'm kind of on a pause. Um, I was right in the middle of, um, Brenda Tolian's short story collection. I think it's called blood mountain. Um, that that's really good. I mean, crazy well-written. I really was enjoying that one. Um, I was also, um, I think, uh, also recently finished, uh, what did I just recently finish? I don't know. I'm drawing a blank, but th that Brenda Tullian book is really good. But, you know, that's, uh, I believe it was Raw Dog Screaming Press put that out. Uh, Daniel Sarah did the, you know, it had a beautiful Daniel Sarah cover on it. Um, and, um, but yeah, that's, that's really it. I, I'm not currently reading, but I'm going to get back to it soon. So, Patrick. So, actually, so it is before we start recording. I finished John's uh, Warrior Retreat for um, PRs before the episode started. Um, I want to dive into this, not tonight, but uh, tomorrow. Small Mercies by uh, subcoming Dennis Lee Hand. Nope. That is how you say it. I've listened to interviews. That is how you fucking <laughs> say his last name, unless he corrects me. Um, Dennis Lee Hand. Dennis Lee Hand. You know what? I get looking more interviews now. Boom. I'm going to stick with Lee Hand for now. Um, anyways, yeah, it's his upcoming book. Comes out in a couple months. Um, that and uh, skimming through True Grit. Well, not skimming. I'm reading a few pages as, uh, as much as I can. I get too sleepy sometimes. So I just go to sleep instead of reading a few pages. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing. What are you currently reading? Brian I like I like the part in True Grit when uh, Matty Ross drives off into the sunset at the end and narrowly avoids running into a tree. That's an inside joke that pretty much no one will get. But, uh, I'm will, not going to cut it. That's all that matters. That's all right. <laughs> From a show that has one episode on it, and that's not the one that's uh, public anymore. It's true. I am reading uh, The Donut Legion by Joe Lansdale. Joe Lansdale. Uh, comes out next month, and it's... I'm only like 40 pages into it, but it's, uh, you know, and I don't even want to spoil like what happens in the first six pages, but it's got such a great hook of a first chapter. You just get to the end of that, you know, first series of pages and you're like, geez, I, I got to know more. I get, what is, what is going on? Um, and then of course there's just the dialogue is a masterclass. Like every book he writes, um, the interactions between the two brothers at the heart of the book, um it's it's Lansdale. It's gonna be good. I have a confession to make. How the fuck did you get that Lansdale? I have not read any Joe R. Lansdale and I don't know where to start. Oh, we we just I have, had I have not read any I go yeah. I go with the thicket or the bottom probably. Okay. Yeah. All right. So a friend of mine actually asked that and I said some people would recommend I didn't say thicket, but I said the bottom. Someone would say a drive-in, which is completely wacky. There's three books to that. Um I told him I would start with a, a short fiction, um, just to see if you like his voice. But you said that you like reading novels more. So yeah, Kevin's yeah. Kevin's spot on with that. Joe's favorite book he's ever written is Paradise Sky for whatever that, that is worth, and that's a standalone. So that that's something to consider too. Well, I have the chat book that came out from Death's Head Press too. I have that chat book. Oh, that one's Ooh. good. Hey, speaking yeah. of that chat book, I have the same character that's gonna be in the anthology that I uh, edited. That it doesn't have a date yet. Um, 
should be the summer but yeah that's reverend mercer badass that chat book you're talking about i reread quite a few pages it's because joe's got this ability where they're simple words but strung together in the right order and you just like ooh, that is he makes it so easy it's not easy to write that good so yeah i think you should read that one since you have it it's fucking good man (laughs) (laughs) uh where can people follow you john sorry i threw myself off Oh, you were uh, what you were reading. I think we were right there, right? No, um, no, I'm good. I, I already went through mine, and then Brennan did his. Unless I cut you off. Okay. No, I'm good. Where can I just, people I have, follow you? I have goldfish sir? brain, so. Oh, it's all good. Um, you could. Uh, I have goldfish brain. I don't remember anything after uh, seconds. So you can find me. I have to look at my social media because they're not all the same. Um, throughout, you can find me at John Lynch Books if you're on Twitter. Um. On Facebook, it's it's John Lynch. I have an author page and a, you know a personal page. If you want to follow me on either of those, you can. The personal page is is probably updated more than the author page, so that'd be the best bet. But I you know I try to post on both of those. Um, on TikTok, I am I don't even know where I am on TikTok. It's uh, John Lynch Horror on TikTok. Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, you can also find me. And it's sad that I don't know my own social media is John Lynch books on Instagram. I changed that. And then on my website, um, johnlynchbooks.com, it links to my shop there as well. I have a shop that's run separately um, through Big Cartel. That's like, it's johnlynchbooks.bigcartel.com. But my actual website, johnlynchbooks.com, will link to that as well. Um, So you can find it through all of those. Okay. Um, Kevin, where can people follow you? (laughs) <laughs> so weird to ask that right now. Um, you can't now. They can't right now. It's okay. <laughs> I'm following Brandon. you, though. I'm, uh, I'm actually right outside the window. GPS. Brandon, where can people follow you on social media? Um, just Did you add that in there so I wouldn't give a smart-ass answer? Thank you. All right. Um, Brennan LaFaro on everything. If, it's, if, if you can't find it under that username, I'm not on that one. You can follow me at PR McDonough on Twitter. And if you want to follow the show, we're on a bunch of different platforms. Just look up Dead Headspace. Uh, there won't be another one. Um, final thoughts, John. What's the R stand for? PR? Uh, my middle name, Robert. Nice. I was going to say Ralph. I don't I know why. I, know. I, just, I default to Ralph. I always default to Ralph. <laughs> I, I, I think Brennan why. gave him shit one time about Robert R. McCammon, you know, the Pat R. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. And I have a funny joke to follow that up with. So, John, what are your what's your final thoughts? Um, my final thoughts. Um, you know, if if you've already if you read the Warrior Retreat, um, I hope you enjoyed it. And if you didn't, I'm I'm still glad that you took a chance on it. Um, and you read it. Um, same thing goes for my collection, whether you've read it or not. If you if you guys wanted to check it out, um, let, you know, let me know about it. Um, I appreciate everybody who has read it, um, or it's given given me a chance to entertain them um, with my stories, um, you know, and just keep reading and talking about books um, because there's everything is crazy right now. We all know that, and just I don't know about you guys, but I know that uh, reading and writing takes me away from a lot of the crap going on right now. So 
reading and telling people about the books that you like is the, the best way that you can do to support any author. And just uh, try not to take everything so as seriously if it doesn't need to be taken seriously. You know, um, Enjoy life a little bit when you can, when you get a chance to. I'm laughing because a lot of people on social media can take that advice to heart, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I, you know, I think we all can too. I've been, I've been sure. there, and I'm sure. just like, you know, this isn't real life. I, I need to stop worrying about it so much. I need to enjoy my life. Agreed, uh, Kevin. Any final thoughts, sir? Yeah, I just want to um, suggest that anyone listen to this, uh, pick up John's book and read it. Uh, uh, there was a time that uh, my word mattered uh, on, on these matters on Twitter. And um, I mean, I haven't done my top five novels of the year, but off the top of my head, um, it was definitely top three for me and it's a debut. So that, that, that means something I read, um, I think 150 plus books last year. And this was um, definitely my top three of, you know, independent um uh, you know, horror novels. And I call it a novel. It's 182 pages. I, I, I back and forth on that. Anything under 150 for me is a novella. Um, but yeah, it was, it was up there. Um, you know, um, along with, uh, uh, if you're, if you're watching this podcast, I assume you read a lot of the same stuff we do, but, um, I mean that, that means it was right there behind Lily by Daniel Barnett. Um, and if you haven't read that series, that that's a part six. So it's hard to sell, six volumes but that part six is a masterpiece and uh and john's book was right there so um you, you should pick it up and read it for sure giving you for last brennan yeah uh definitely piggybacking on kev warrior retreat yeah i uh i messaged john and i wasn't sure if he was gonna be like oh thanks jackass but i was like man you can write i said something like that because like i've never read anything by you before and uh whether it's indie or mainstream or whatever, you just never know what you're going to get with a new writer. So I'm yep. planning on continuing to read your stuff, man. I appreciate you being here. Um, I mean, I, I'm pretty I sure it was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was like season one. I was like, Hey, you want to come on? And you, <coughs> I think you, you didn't obviously didn't have anything out then. So I'm definitely glad that you're finally, finally made yeah. it. It would have just been uh, us just, uh, awkwardly staring at each other probably without what to talk about i mean we wouldn't be talking about my books and i think at the time maybe i don't know if we would have been talking about um brennan's books yeah i don't think slattery falls had come out yet nope no, not yet. Um, that's a good point the time yeah so i don't, I don't have know any what we would have talked about <laughs> so, um just talking about where we grew up i mean he brennan pretty yeah. much grew up in uh rhode island you grew up in rhode island doing? I grew up the East Coast a little bit. Yeah, I grew up 30 minutes away from uh, yeah. Providence. Pat texted me today, and I got a new <laughs> phone yesterday, and um, it's all about fresh starts. So I, I didn't keep any of my contacts or anything, you know. And uh, Pat texted me. I was like, "Is this uh, is this Pat or just John?" Because I knew that I'd give him both y'all my phone number. Yeah, uh, he's like, "It's Pat. It's the Boston area code." I was like you guys all live in the same part of the world as far as i'm concerned you're all up there in the northeast corner of the country so but yeah bunch of yankee boys um brennan final thoughts sir uh obviously i want to thank john for taking the time to come hang out with us on a monday night uh like like we said long overdue we might not have had anything to talk about but i'm glad we finally uh got you on and um I would absolutely recommend people go check out the warrior retreat. They should check out. I think we referenced your collection like 20 times and I don't think anybody said the title. It is called woe to those who dwell on earth. People should check that out. Uh, 
Kevin, I appreciate you coming out of hiding to hang out with us for a little bit. No and problem. Patrick, I would appreciate it if you didn't message guests to say, wow, you can write. So like, please <laughs> refrain from doing that in the future. <laughs> That's going to lose us some guests, man. All right. I did not say it like that. Yeah, you know what? Um, <laughs> before we cut off here um, too, I just wanted to say again, you know, I wanted to thank you guys for having me and thank you for Kevin for joining us. Cause I know, you know, I know you uh, kind of went incognito online for a little bit, so you definitely <laughs> didn't have to show up for this. So I'm glad that you did. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Next episode is 189 with Mariana. Can't talk. With Mariana Enriquez, with guest hosts Paul Tremblay and John Langham. Stay tuned for that.